This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. I want to share with you from uh, Lionel asked me to touch on some of the uh, topics that, um, or on one of the topics that we'll be speaking at, at the conference in Brisbane. And so I'm going to do that this evening, and I'm going to start by reading in uh, the second letter to the Californians, chapter 3 and from verse 7. So, second Californians, chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, uh, it's Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter 3. And it's... Uh, it, it is the letter to the Californians because the letter is 100% applicable to us in California and I guess to you also. Um, and so the, the, um, uh, I'm not going to deal with the background to the passage and uh, put it in its, uh, in its context. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and uh, see how that the, um, uh, the Old Testament, uh, what, what Paul is referring to here, um, applies in the Old Testament. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, was, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of that which was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so it's a long passage and it's a little bit involved. Um, and he's touching on quite a, a few um, ideas here. Uh, but I want to just speak about this idea of the veil. And obviously what he is saying here is that uh, there is a veil upon the hearts of Israel when they read the scriptures. So that when they read the scriptures, they don't understand. Uh, you remember Jesus uh, himself was the Messiah and he stood before the Pharisees. And he spoke from the Old Testament. He proved who he was, and they couldn't understand. Uh, they couldn't understand because there was a veil upon their hearts. Now, the question then is, uh, how did this veil and when did this veil come upon the hearts of Israel? And obviously, we have to go to the beginning, and we go to Exodus chapter 19. And I'm going to go to a few places in the, um, in the Old Testament. Um, Exodus chapter 19. Now, Exodus 19 is Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is uh, three months probably uh, into the uh, promised land, uh, into the uh, wilderness, out of Egypt. So, so they only come out of Egypt for three months. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Uh, they had been in Egypt for 400 years. They'd multiplied to uh, a nation of uh, 6,000, um, uh, how many? 
600,000 men and uh, plus the women and children. And, um, and so God is now beginning to reveal himself to them. They didn't know who God was. When Moses goes to speak to them, uh, Moses even says, well, you know, who will I say sent me? Uh, so so they, they really had no relationship with God. God begins to form a relationship with them in Egypt. And uh, he performs ten miracles. Now, I know you know them as ten plagues. But they're actually ten miracles. And the reason why they are ten miracles is because from the, from the Egyptian point of view, they were plagues. But who was God dealing with? And we say, oh, he was dealing with Egypt. No, God was not dealing with Egypt. God had no dealings with Egypt. God's dealings were with Israel. And God was speaking to Israel through the ten miracles, and he was proving himself to be the God who he claimed to be, to be the God who was greater than Egypt, greater than the magicians of Egypt, the God who could do what he said he would do, who was faithful, who was powerful, who was all-powerful. And so God is revealing himself all along. Now, I know that may be a foreign idea to you that God was really not dealing with Egypt because we, the, the, the way we are traditionally taught, we say, well, you know, God is dealing with, 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 with Egypt. But what, what was, if, if all God was interested in was dealing with Egypt, well, then he could have spoken one word and just killed the whole lot. And that would have been the end of the trouble and Israel could have moved out and gone to the promised land. And God could have done that. But he doesn't do it. Because he is not dealing with Egypt. He is proving himself to Israel. And Israel receives the ten miracles. And they, uh, they come out of the land. And they sort of believe. And then they come to the Red Sea. And they no longer believe. And he proves himself again in the Red Sea. And over and over and over God proves himself. Every day there's manna for six days and there's no manna for the seventh day. If you kept the manna from the sixth day to the seventh day, it would last. If you kept from the fourth day to the fifth day, it would get worms. And every day God, there's a pillar of fire and the cloud. And, and God is proving himself to be the God who he claims to be. So they go through all of this for three months. And then they come to Mount Sinai. And God then says these words in Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 4. And he's speaking to Moses to tell the people, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Why did God bring Israel out of Egypt? Oh, to bring them into the promised land. You see, again, our perspective is the wrong perspective. We look at things from a human point of view. God didn't bring Israel out of Egypt just to get them to the promised land. What did God want? He wanted a people. And he says, I brought you. And I brought you on eagle's wings. And I brought you to myself. And God says, I want to have a relationship with Israel. The same way as God wants an, an, a relationship with us today. Now, here's, here's something you need to bear in mind as we, as we go through this evening. When we speak of Israel and we speak of the church, and I don't believe that the church replaces Israel, but there are many similarities between the church and Israel. The problem is that most of Israel all along were unbelieving. 
They didn't really believe God. They didn't really have a relationship with God. There was the ones and the twos who had a relationship with God, but the rest of Israel really didn't really care that much about the Lord. And we say, well, that was Israel. The church is different. Now, here's the, the thing that I've come to understand very in, in, in these last few years and in the last few months even more and more, and that is that we are no different. That, when I say we, the visible church, Christianity in the world today is no different to Israel. We have a form of godliness, but there is no reality, there's no power to it. And so we claim to have God as our God. We claim to be that, he, that we are his people, but we have no relationship with him. Now, I'm not saying we, I'm saying the visible church. And within Israel, there is a minority who have a relationship with God. And in fact, in these early days in Israel, there's only three men who have a relationship with God. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. That's all. Out of 600,000 men. Three million people, maybe. And I don't know that the ratio is much different today. And folks, here's the scary thing. Even in good churches, like this church, and John's church, and my church, there is a percentage that while they confess to be saved and born again, they are not. Because they have a form. But there's no reality. There's no substance. There's no power. And God is crying out and he's saying, I want a people for myself. And still today he's calling out to the church. And remember the seven letters to the seven churches, and, and they represent uh, seven ages to me. They represent a whole bunch of things. But one of the things they represent to me are seven different ages in the, in the regression of the church from the book of Acts until the end. And so I believe with all my heart that we're in the seventh period, the church of Laodicea. And in the church of Laodicea, all up to, up to that point, God speaks to the churches and he says to the church in Smyrna, to the church in Pergamos. He begins the letter to the Laodiceans and he says to the church in Laodicea. And then he comes right down to the very end of, the, of these seven letters and the end of the church age, I believe, where the church says we're rich and increased with goods. We have need of nothing. And when they say we have need of nothing, one of the things that they don't need is Jesus. Because we have our programs, we have our money, we have our buildings, we have our stuff. We don't need it. And Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and I knock. And you know that that's not the sinner's door that he's knocking at. It's the door of the church. Where is Jesus in relationship to the church? He's outside. He got locked out. And now what is he saying? If any man, you see, he's calling the church, the church, the church. Now he's saying, if there's just a man, if any man will hear my voice. And obviously, I think it includes the sisters, maybe. <laughs> but if any man will hear my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and him with me. And I believe that we're at that point where God is just, he's just trying to, to, to call ones and twos. And it's not that he doesn't call all, he's, he's knocking at the door of the church, but nobody's listening. 
And folk, I, I, I'm, you know, in, in my own church, I'm very aware of the fact that, that God is calling people, but nobody is listening. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that our people are rank heathens. They're not. They have a form of godliness. They come to church regularly or fairly regularly. They uh, live sort of more or less uh, clean lives. And um, they, they, they uh, uh, may pray occasionally and read their Bibles occasionally. But folk, what I'm seeing in every church that I'm visiting, or that I know, and I don't know you guys because I'm just here for, a, for an hour or two, is that there's very little depth to our Christianity. There's no substance. There's no... So he's calling Israel and he's saying, I brought you to myself. He's bringing us to himself. And the purpose is that he wants to have a relationship with us. Verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my special treasure to me above all people. For the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and holy, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And of course, uh, those in John's church will know they've been studying the book of Peter. Those words come from or are repeated in Peter. And so now he is saying to the church, you are a holy nation. So God is saying, I brought you to myself that you might be my special people. My unique people. And then, and, and this is of course Exodus 19. What happens in Exodus chapter 20? We have the law. And God gives the ten commandments or ten words. Now I'm not going to ask you to give me the answer because you may step into a trap. But I'm, I'll ask the question. And the question is, to whom does God speak? The ten words, the ten commandments, to Moses or to the nation? He speaks to the whole nation. Somehow, many Christians have the impression that God gave the ten commandments to Moses. Now, remember, later Moses goes up and, he, and God writes the, the, the commandments on the stones, on the tablets. No, not, 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 not these tablets, young people. Tablets of stone. But anyhow, so, so, but God begins to speak. And he speaks to the nation. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you. And if, if you're going to have a relationship, what is one of the most important things you have to do in a relationship? Listen and talk. I'm sure Lionel is teaching that in... His relationship classes. You've got to talk and listen. And God is talking. And what does Israel say? Well, let's go to Exodus chapter chapter 20. And um, after, after we have the list of the Ten Commandments, verse 18. Now all the people witness the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes. Oh, just by the way, it, it's not all that clear in Exodus that God spoke to the whole nation. But when you go to Deuteronomy 5, you'll find it's very clear, very explicit there. Deuteronomy 5, 
4. In fact, I'll just quote it for you. I wrote it down. The Lord talked with you face to face, speaking to the nation on the mountain from the midst of the fire. So God speaks to them all. Their response in verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. Now, what did God say when this whole process began? I brought you to myself. What does Jesus say as he comes over the brow of the hill and looks over Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? But you would not. Israel stood afar off. Those words are not by chance. God says, I I brought you to myself. Israel says, not so fast, God. We, we, we need some distance here. Israel stood afar off and then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Can you imagine the... If God had emotions the way we have, we understand that God doesn't, he's not like us. But if you were God, and God goes, and you go to all this trouble to bring these people out of Egypt, all of the issues with the the Egyptians, ten times Moses goes in and out, and it goes on and on and on, and God eventually, eventually you get these people, and you say, now I'm going to make you a special people. You're going to be the the head of all the nations. And Israel says, we don't want to listen to you. What we'll do is we'll, we'll hire ourselves a pastor. And he can go and ask you what to say, and then he can come and tell us, and whatever he tells us, we'll, we'll listen. Isn't that what we do? It's exactly what we do. Because he now wants a relationship with each one of us individually. But, that, but we, we, it's too much hard work to hear God, to spend time in His presence. God's too difficult to understand. The Bible is too difficult to understand. We, we need a pastor. I understand the need for ministries. I, I'm, I'm fully in supportive of, and, and, and I'm in, in the ministry myself. The, the Lord, when He ascended on high, He Himself gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So, so the, the ministries are... Ministries are necessary. They are a blessing of God. But the ministries are not priests who stand between us and God. You see, because that's what happens in, in hierarchical kinds of churches. In the Catholic Church, Anglican Church, many other churches. The priest stands between God and man. The priest will pray to God for the people and the priest will come back to the people and say, well, by the way, God says this and this and this. And that's exactly what Israel does. And they say, you know, God, you, we, we, you're too awesome. We can't have you speak to us. We don't understand you. Your voice is too, too thunderous. Moses, you go and ask God. And then you come and, and tell us what, what he has to say. Now, verse uh, 21, uh, sorry, verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you today, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And so here it says it again. So the people stood afar off. 
But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. Are you going to be one who is standing afar off? Or are you going to be Moses who draws near to the presence of God? And you say, well, brother, you know, Moses had a special ministry. I'm not, I'm not Moses. But remember that later on, and just after this, actually, um, there is the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is not the tabernacle with the uh, holiest of all and the holy place and the outer court. This was Moses' tent, which is pitched outside of the camp. And again, God extends an invitation to Israel. And he says, if you want to meet with me, you can come and meet with me here in the tent. And guess how many of Israel went to go and meet with God? Two men. Moses and Caleb. And it says that when Moses went to go and meet with God in the tent, all of Israel stood at their tent doors and they watched. Are you standing and watching while somebody else enters into God's presence on your behalf? Speaks to God for you. Speaks to you from God. You say, well, again, that was Moses. But I told you there was another man. There was nothing special about Caleb. He was, he was just one of the men. In fact, there was something special about him because he wasn't a natural Jew. He was uh, associated, he was a, a, a sort of a long-distant cousin of the Amalekites, the people that God hated and had indignation against forever. He was a foreigner. Who had, who had become an Israelite. And it says he never departed from the presence of God. He went into that tent and he lived in the presence of God. Moses had to leave because he had a job to do. He had to govern the people. But Caleb stayed in God's presence. He was just an ordinary man. Don't say that this is just for pastors or this is just for prayer warriors or for certain people to be in God's presence and to hear God speak and to meet with Him face to face. This is for everyone who will enter into His presence. God is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want to speak with you. And yet we stand afar off. But Moses and Caleb draw near to God. Now, folk, here's the problem. That when we reject God's overtures to have that personal relationship with us, and we say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have, you know, God can speak to me through the pastor or through somebody else. If you will not hear what God has to say to you personally, you will also not receive what he says through the pastor or through somebody else. And I'm going to show that to you in a moment. Let's go to Exodus chapter 35. Sorry, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34 verse 29. 
So they delegate Moses. Moses now goes up into the presence of God. Moses comes down. And now it was so when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, talked, while he talked with God. And so when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went into being before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now just by the way, just a little diversion to break the tension and then we'll get back here. Have you ever seen Michelangelo's statue of Moses? Um, We have a... um, uh, we have a, a, an art collection n- near us, and they have a casting of the original Michelangelo. In fact, they have a whole bunch of castings, and they're, they're the only ones in the world where molds were taken off the original carvings or statues and uh, recast, and the molds were then broken. Um, and so these are, this is the closest to the original you can get. And there's the David and, and there's a whole bunch of, of, of Michelangelo's works. And so Moses is, is there. And Moses has two horns. You ever seen Moses with horns? Yeah, look it up in Google and look for Michelangelo and Moses and you'll see that he has two horns. Now the reason he has two horns is because it says that his face shone. And in the Latin Vulgate, because remember these guys were Catholic, Michelangelo was Catholic. And so he bases his, uh, his pictures on, on the Vulgate or the Latin Bible. And uh, the Latin Bible translated, and there's a technical reason why in the Latin the word uh, that he's, and, and, and it literally says that, that, uh, that the, something radiated from him. It says that his face shone. It says that light radiated from him. And that and the word he had horns are uh, very similar in the Latin apparently. And so they interpreted Moses as having horns. Now he didn't have horns of course, uh, but his face shone. And, and what, what was shining? The glory of God. He had been in the presence of God. And the glory of God now reflects off Moses. Moses doesn't have an inherent glory. And the book of Corinthians where we read, you remember it says that the glory faded after a period of time. So it seems that every time Moses went into God's presence, the glory was recharged. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fresh glory. And then as he stays out of God's presence, the glory fades. Because it says that that glory, comparing the, the glory of Christ to the glory that was on Moses' face, the glory on Christ, of Christ does not fade, that of Moses does. And of course, Moses' glory is, is really like the moon. Uh, Christ's glory is like the sun. It radiates itself. The moon reflects the glory. So Moses, or the sun, and so Moses is reflecting the, uh, the glory of God. But what's the problem? 
Remember Israel said we can't have God speak to us. Moses now comes and he says this is what God has to say. And they say we can't even have this. We cannot have Moses' face shining like this. And they pressurize Moses to put a veil on his face. You see, there's the problem. If you reject God's overtures to you to have a personal relationship, and you say, no, you know, I'll have the relationship through the priest or the pastor or the whatever, you will also not receive God's revelation through him either. That's the problem. And so they put a veil on Moses' face. Now I've had people argue with me and say, well, you know, they, they didn't. It doesn't say they did, but it's clearly Moses veils his face. Why does Moses veil his face? In fact, it says that he didn't know that the, his face was radiating. And so the people complain that his face is radiating. And so on their, pressurized by them, he puts a veil on his face. And folks, here's the problem. We want God to speak to us. But we want it on our terms. We want him to speak when we want, how we want. And so, you know, I thought about this veil. And I don't know, but, you know, the, the scripture doesn't say, you know, what it looked like and what it was. But if Moses was able to speak to them, and I would assume that it, it wasn't, um, that it was see-through. That it was some kind of mesh or a, 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 some kind of lace or netting that would allow Moses to see through. And in fact, you see the woman with wearing burqas in the, in the, in the east and they, they, have a, they have a veil which, which allows them to see through, but in fact limits what you can see of them. And so it's really a filter. And that's the problem. So when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the preaching of God, we want to filter God's word. And maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm really pushing it there. Well, let me, let me drop that line of thinking and let me, let, me, let me just put it this way. Those brothers who preach will probably be able to confirm this. But when I'm preaching... I watch people because I need the feedback. It's not because I need to feel good, but I need to know whether you're still with me and whether I'm getting through. But whenever I get to a sensitive issue, what happens? The veil comes down. And it's a physical thing. I can see it. Suddenly the eyes go blank. The mind goes tilt. And the veil comes down. Because I don't want to hear that message. I don't want to hear that word. And we have many mechanisms by which we filter the word of God. We deflect it. And so I hope my wife's listening. Brother so-and-so, I hope he's listening because this is, this is for him. Folk, when the word of God is open, whether it's in your private devotions or whether it's in the preaching of the word of God, 
It's not for anybody else, but it's for you personally. And as a preacher, I'm not preaching at you tonight, I'm preaching to myself. I always preach to myself. And sometimes I think I come out of the pulpit more convicted than anybody else. Because it's for me. But we deflect the word, we, we pass it on, we say well, it's for somebody else. Or we just blank out and we don't hear it. The other thing that we're very good at is modifying the word. And so the word says, you shall not eat. What does that mean? Oh, God wants me to eat. Those are all ways that we veil the glory of God. And folk, I believe that God wants to reveal himself to us in our prayer, in our, in our study of the word, in our gathering together as the saints. I believe that he wants to reveal himself to us, and he does. But unfortunately, many of us either temporarily or permanently veil the glory of God. So that we cannot hear, we cannot see, we cannot understand. And that's a terrible, terrible thing that happens. Now let me speak to you very personally. I believe that in preaching, and preachers must preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I know these are words that people are not comfortable with these days. And it doesn't mean you they jump up and down and, you know, the anointing is not measured in shouting, sweating and spitting. The anointing is measured in the word of God, which is applicable and speaks directly to the hearts of men and women. And there are times, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an, an, an imperfect vessel. We have, in the context of that passage in Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Each one of us, and preachers particularly, we're clay pots. And most of us, like myself, we're crack pots. <laughs> but we have a treasure. And many times when I'm preaching, I become aware that the Holy Spirit is speaking. There's a thoughts that I hadn't prepared. And I believe in preparation. I believe in study. I put a lot of time in preparation and study uh, of the word. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes when I'm preaching, God reveals something to me. And as he reveals it to me, and this happens to all, all preachers who are, who are committed and dedicated to serving the Lord. It's nothing special. In that sense, it is special, but it's nothing special. And when that happens, you will not even hear me change my tone or anything like that. I don't say, thus says the Lord. This and this and this and this. I'm just saying what I'm saying. But I'm aware that God has now speaking. This is not something I have prepared before the time. This is not something that was in my mind before the time. This is something the Holy Spirit revealed to me as I'm preaching. And as I'm preaching, I'm aware that this is for, for specific people in the congregation. Now, this doesn't necessarily happen here because I don't know you. But my own church, I know. 
And I just stand to one side, as it were, and I'm just watching God speak. And I know God is speaking to certain individuals. But I watch the shutters come down. I watch the veil come down. They don't want to hear. And folk, it breaks my heart. Because here is God, and I'm just a witness. I'm, not a, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just a witness to something that God is doing. And I'm witnessing God actually speaking personally, directly to individuals in the congregation. And they're saying, no, we don't want to hear from you. I'm not interested. Because it doesn't suit my agenda. It doesn't suit where I'm at. The problem is that God's glory cannot be veiled. God's glory cannot be veiled. And so if we go to Corinthians then where we, uh, where we started. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 13, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. I told you the, the glory faded over time. But their minds were blinded. Their minds were blinded. For until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. But the veil is taken away in Christ. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read... The veil lies on their heart. Can you see what happened? They put the veil on Moses' face. And God says, no, you will not veil my glory. And he takes the veil off Moses' face and he puts it on their hearts. And it's a permanent veiling. Now the question is, when did that happen? And the answer is right there, three months into the wilderness. Go with me to Acts chapter 7. Keep your finger in Corinthians because I think I may come back to, um, to Corinthians. But Acts chapter 7, and this is Stephen preaching on the... Um, uh, and this, uh, he, he, he got himself killed for this message, of course. Acts chapter 7. And of course, what they then did is they made the golden calf, verse 41, and then God turned and gave them up. Where do we find those words? Romans chapter 1. Three times in Romans 1, God gave them up, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting. God gave, so where am I? Verse 42, turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Scary stuff. Three months into the wilderness, God says, I brought you to myself. Israel says, no. God says, worship the stars then. He gave them up to worship, effectively, the sun and moon and stars. And then he says, Verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. 
It's Amos and Jeremiah he's quoting. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness of house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the god Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Just think of what's happening here. When Israel rejected God at Mount Sinai, God already rejected them there. And he said, what were you doing for 40 years in the wilderness? Were you worshipping me? God says, no, you were not worshipping me. You were worshipping Molech and Remphan and these other gods. When did God say, I'm going to take Israel into captivity? You saw the answer. Three months into the, into the wilderness, they hadn't even gotten to the promised land. And God says, I'm going to take you to Babylon. Now, this is not predestination. This is not God saying, I'm, you know, uh, this is God foreknowing. And he says, I know the path that you're on. I can see where this is headed. And it's headed to a place where I'm going to eventually have to carry you away. Now, folk, can you imagine living for 40 years? They live in the wilderness. They then go into, into, into the promised land. But all of that time, they're living under God's judgment. But here's the thing. They're rejoicing. They say, look at God's wonderful provision. God is giving us manna, and he's giving us water, and he's giving us Moses, and uh, he's giving us the cloud and the pillar of fire, and he's giving us victory over the enemies. We're, we're good with God. We're cool. No. They're under the sentence of death. Folk, the fact that God is good to you and provides for you financially or materially or whatever way does not mean God is pleased with you. This is the prosperity message, and, and, and even though we may not believe the prosperity message, we believe elements of it. And we say, well, you know, everything's good. God looks after me, so I must be good with God. God looked after Israel, provided for them, fed them, protected them. But he says, you're going to die in the wilderness. You will not enter into the land. And even when your descendants enter into the land, I'm going to carry you away into captivity. Let's go back to Corinthians. I'm almost through uh, to, to Corinthians chapter 3 again. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now before I just deal with that verse, the denomination I came out of used this verse against me because they said I had a veiled face. I'm serious. I did not have an open face like John here. This has nothing to do with men, whether men are shaven or not, whether they're open-faced or not. It is simply meaning without a veil. We with an open face, in other words, without a veil, saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Lord, reveal yourself to me and reveal me to myself. So that I may see 
who I am. You know, we, we have this amazing ability to filter what we see of ourselves. We have many young kids, little toddlers and, and, and four, five, six, seven-year-old kids in our church. And most of them are pretty naughty. But we have one particular family who's always complaining about how naughty everybody's kids are. And you guessed it. Their kids are the worst. It's amazing how we can see stuff. Before I left uh, L.A. and I flew in the, in the uh, late afternoon in the evening, um, I, I didn't shave in the morning. Because I said, well, you know, I'll shave before I go because, you know, it's a long trip and, you know, I, I don't want to have stubble when I land. And, um, and so before I fly, you know, I have a shower and I brush my teeth and, because I know I'm not going to be able to do this for a long time. And uh, I did all this stuff, and I combed my hair, and I brushed my teeth, and I got everything ready, and I looked in the mirror, and I thought, yeah, I'm looking pretty good. And I got on the bus to get to the airport, and somewhere along the line on the bus, I felt my chin, my, my, my face. I'd actually looked at myself in the mirror, and I did not see that I'd not shaven. And folk, we can look into the mirror of God's word and see nothing. We see what we want to see. Say, I'm looking pretty good. But if we with open face, Lord, show me yourself. The way you really are. What you want to reveal to me, whatever it is. Whether it's good or bad. But I want to hear you. I want to see you. And Lord, show me myself. And that's not the reference to the mirror there. But show me yourself. Show me myself. Because it's only when we see our face in the mirror and we see that we need to do something and we do something and don't go away forgetting what we have seen. Remember James. And so Paul says the answer is to have an open face. I want to hear whatever it is you have to say, Lord. Whether it's hard to take, I want to hear it. When I come to your word, Lord, I pray, Lord, speak to me. When I come into the meetings, Lord, speak to me. It's not for my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. A tradition we don't have anymore, and I, I thought it was a good tradition. It was just tradition. It wasn't a, a scriptural thing. But I remember growing up, and I, I grew up in, in a Christian home and a church. But those days when people came into the church, they would all sit down in the, in the pews, and they would be praying. And as a little kid, I said to my mom, I said, uh, what are these people praying? Nobody was talking, and, and fellowship's good. I don't want to discourage, but, but, you know, why is everybody praying? And she says, they're praying. Lord, speak to me. How often do we come into the church or into the, our closet and we say, Lord, speak to me. 
I need to hear your voice today. And whatever it is, whether it's rebuke or whether it's admonition or whether it's comfort or exhortation, whatever it is, Lord, I need to hear your voice. And as we have an open face, unfiltered, receiving his word, whatever it is that he is saying, whether it suits me or pleases me or doesn't. But Lord, I want to see you. And as we do that, what he says happens is that we are transformed. The same way, and he's alluding to Moses, the same way as Moses was on that mountain and Moses communed with God. And I don't know how God revealed himself there. But as Moses communes with God, his face has changed. As he comes out of the presence of God, the glory fades away. So he has to go back into God's presence. And folk, as we open ourselves to the Lord, he begins to deposit his glory into us. And he begins to change us. And folk, the reason why many Christians don't change. You know, that's the saddest thing is Christians that go through all sorts of experiences and they learn nothing. Come to the end of their life having served God for maybe many years, but they've learned nothing. But if we with an open face say, Lord, I want you to speak. I want you to reveal yourself. They are changed from one level of glory. It says from glory to glory, literally meaning from one level of glory to another. Until ultimately, we're in the image of his son. That's the, that's the end goal. And so the question simply is, and it's a very simple message that I have, have for you this evening. Are we willing to have God speak to us? Are we willing to allow him to say the things that we don't want to hear? I have brothers that I submit myself to in the church and others outside of the church. And every now and then I have to admonish them and say, brother, speak to me. Don't spare me. Don't feel that you're going to hurt my feelings. Tell me the truth. Am I doing the right thing here? Am I believing the right thing here? Tell me the truth. The book of Proverbs speaks about the wounds of a friend. Folk, I want to hear the truth from God. I want to hear the truth from my brothers. And if you have something to say to me after the meeting, I will hear you. I will take it to the Lord and say, Lord, is this the truth? Over the years I've had many people say all sorts of things about me. And I'm not perfect. I really struggle with my reaction and my response in those situations. But one thing I do every time is I take it to the Lord and I say, Lord, is this true? This man says I'm a heretic. Is it true? Search me, O God. Try me. Because I want to see your face.
And I want to change. I want to receive. I want to be the, the, uh, reflect your glory. Because the moment we veil that glory, his glory will, we, 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 the, the veil gets placed upon our hearts. And remember, I'm, I'm, I'm through, but you remember that Isaiah chapter 6, this great chapter where Isaiah sees the Lord. And the Lord says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I. And God gives him a message. And what's the message? Hearing, you will not hear. And seeing, you will not see. Seven times that verses, those verses are quoted in the New Testament. Over and over by the Lord Jesus. The book of Acts closes with those words. Hearing, you will not hear. And seeing, you will not see. Focus a terrible thing. When God stops speaking, when God places a veil upon our hearts, and the problem is that we say, well, you know, God is gracious, he will always speak. No, right back in the book of Genesis chapter 6 already, he said, I will not always strive with man, because he's spirit, because he also is dust. God will speak to a certain point. And folk, I, I don't know at what point God stops speaking. But I never want him to stop speaking to me. And so I need to hear him. I need to respond to him every time he speaks. Because who knows if I become like Israel and he says, I'm through speaking. I'm not speaking anymore. Hearing you will not hear and seeing you will not see. Lord, speak to me that I may hear. Amen. Thanks, Lion. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.